Um, if Dave is watching the recording, Dave Sutherland, thank you. It's been a pleasure to serve under you and with you, uh, and we appreciate your service to this congregation. Uh, and in one of his prayer requests, he prayed that everything went okay for Dave Cannon Friday. Dave Cannon is with us, so an angiogram Friday and fixes, and he's back with us, so we're really glad to have you. Thanks, God. Um, I have a t-shirt, and it reads old school, and it's got a picture of an old truck on it. My family gave it to me. Uh, you know, and I, I don't mind being called old school, I get, I, I, or I didn't, and then I looked it up and I read, what does old school mean? And this is what Google said. Google said uh, the synonyms are outdated, antiquated, prehistoric, or just simply old. Uh, so old school sounds a lot better uh, than those things. I, I think all of us, though, our world is changing so fast that maybe we struggle, some, all of us struggle a little bit with being old school with some things. So got a couple of pop quiz questions for you here. Here's a picture of... You got, okay, so this one tells you what it is. It says it's a Walkman, but do any of you know what a Walkman is? I, I know the younger, so the, if you're old like me, you do, yes. Okay, but the younger ones, you probably don't know what a Walkman is. All right, so it had these plastic headphones, you know, and, and mine was yellow, and it was actually waterproof, it said. I never submerged it, but it was sealed, and, and it probably wouldn't have worked. But if you don't know what a Walkman is, that's old school. The next picture... Now, see, I, I, I'd like to say if you can get this one, if you're younger and you get this one right, I'll let you leave early today. But um, what, what, I mean, so this is a Nintendo. It is not a Super Nintendo. It is not a Nintendo 64. It is the original. I have one. <laughs> or I had one. My oldest son in Tennessee, actually, when we were moving, decided to box it up and take it with him to Tennessee because he liked it so much. He, because he liked the idea of the original, you know, antique, antiquated, prehistoric version of video games. Um, do you remember, if, do, did any of you who are older have this hard transition from eight tracks to CDs, you know, where you got these eight tracks and then you, I, I need to buy CDs, but I've got all these, what am I going to do with them? And, or cassettes to CDs, you know, so you have that, or the VHS to DVDs, maybe you had that transition where you had all, you know, a whole cabinet, we had a whole cabinet full of VHS tapes and a VCR, and it's like, well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to get rid, well, eventually, you know, and for us it was a move, we were like, okay, that's it, we're moving, we're going to get rid of this and we'll just you know, buy DVDs, and now it's, DVDs aren't in, in style anymore, or in, in vogue, uh, and even for this sermon, so now the transition is just from paper to digital, I wrote part of my sermon on my phone, I wrote part of my sermon on my laptop, and I wrote part of my sermon in a spiral notebook, so, and, and I, you know, I'm still in that transition phase of all that, but um, old school the, import, the, the question I want us to think about is, am I old school because the old way is better? Which in some cases I believe it is. Or am I old school because I'm just stubborn and, I, and I'm resisting the change to the new way because in some cases the new way is better? I want us to think about that as, as, as we have this sermon because we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and it's going to be talking about an old covenant and a new covenant. Um, 
But again, let me give you this, let me give you a personal illustration as far as how I think. And you may have heard this story because my wife likes to tell it. Uh, several years ago, we were uh, coming back from Thailand on furlough, uh, you know, three months here and then going back to Thailand. And my mom lived south of Dallas and her parents lived north of Dallas and we would, you know, go back and forth between those homes. And at one point we met in Dallas to have dinner with her parents. And it's night after the restaurant, we're trying to get back, you know, roads have changed since I've been gone, all of that. I'm in an f- area that's unfamiliar. Dark, we leave, and I'm all of a sudden turned around. Tina thinks I'm lost, but I'm not lost, but I just don't know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> so I'm turned around, and I realize I've, I've gone down this same windy street on this hill a couple of times, and so I pull into this gas station, and I stop, and I get out of the car, and I move away from the vehicle, And I look up, and I find the North Star, and I get back in the car, now that I have my bearings, and Tina gives this, gives me this really strange look, like, what are you doing? I thought, you know, you were going in to ask for directions, and and so I told her what I did, and then she doesn't have this strange look on her face anymore. She has this look that I've seen a thousand times, and I don't know that I want to continue seeing it, but she could not believe that's what I did instead of going in to ask for directions. So I ask you, am I old school or am I just stubborn? Um, don't answer that. All right. We as a church, we are turning into the Spirit. We are gaining traction. Uh, If this is true of us as a church, then what will we look like? What, how will we respond to others being filled with the Spirit? Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your Spirit. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for your words in in your Scripture. Uh, Thank you for a church family. Thank you for all the ways that you speak to us. I pray that you will speak to us this morning. I pray that uh, the audience here in person and the ones watching the recording will hear your words um, and, and meditate on those. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we get to 2 Corinthians 3, look at Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 through 27. So there's two Old Testament scriptures that are just good background for, uh, for 2 Corinthians 3. So Ezekiel 36 26 to 27. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And then Jeremiah 31, verse 33, where Paul quotes it basically in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, but this is the new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, if you turn over to 2 Corinthians 3, Paul tells this story. It's from, it's from Exodus 33, 34. You, you remember the story. Patrick's even talked about it where Moses is up on the mountain. He's meeting with God. The mountain is, there's a fire on the mountain, you know, and, and he gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down and what? The people have built this golden calf as an idol. 
He gets mad. He throws them down. He goes back up on the mountain. He gets a second copy of, of the Ten Commandments. And he comes down and his face is shining brightly from being in the presence of God. It's radiant. And it's so bright that it scares the people. And so when he talks to the people, they see his face shining. But the rest of the time, he wore a veil over his face. So this is the story in 2 Corinthians 3. Listen to verses, listen to the first uh, listen to verses 3 through 5. I don't have those up on the screen. Just listen to what it says here. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. It's almost a direct quote of Jeremiah. Verse 4, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. And then verse 6. He has enabled us to be ministers of, this, of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. And continuing through verse 9, verse 7. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. In verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious... How much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? So that's verse 8 and 9. So I ask you, he talks about the people being the, the, what's written. It's written on their hearts. It's not written on stone. It's, it's not a written code anymore. He talks about the new way being of the Spirit. Um, the old covenant was based on the law. The new covenant was based on grace. The issue in the first century... And during the time of 2 Corinthians, centered around Jews and Gentiles. I thought it was great that Caleb gave that example of Cornelius. Can you imagine how hard it was for Peter to go against everything that he had been taught and everything he had been told that he believed was from God to not enter into a Gentile's house or whatever. And then he says, no, there's a new covenant, the new spirit, the, co the covenant of the spirit, not the law. Um, so they're wrestling with this. Peter's wrestling with this. The Jews and Gentiles are wrestling with this. Now, for us, that wrestling, that struggling is not necessarily Jew and Gentile. But I think it is kind of this legalism versus grace. This, you know, following the letter of the law versus what does it mean to follow after the Spirit. I do think that's our struggle. And um, one of the things that I think, well... I believe the biggest hindrance to being filled with the Spirit is legalism. Now, I'm very thankful that in this congregation we don't struggle with that. But I think there are times when I am, you know, a little bit legalistic in, uh, in maybe some of the old ways and some of the things I've taught. And am I just stubborn or whatever? So this old covenant versus the new covenant. Now, there were a couple of Greek words for new. And the first one was naos which meant new in time, just, you know, it's like, it's like if you buy a new sack of dog food, then that, that new sack, it's the same as the old sack, but it's new in time, you know, any, it's just more, more recent. Uh, the other word is kainos, and that means new in quality, it's better, uh, and guess which one 
was used for the new covenant. It wasn't just new in time, which is sometimes we think, but he used the word kainos, which is better in quality. It's new in quality. So the old covenant wasn't bad, but it was second best. Verses 6 through 9 that we read about the, about the old covenant, he said that old ministry is a ministry of, that leads to death. It's a ministry of condemnation. That goes against what the new covenant of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit is when it says it gives life. All right, uh, And so those two things are in competition. And I, So for example, how do we, if we're a church being filled with the Spirit, how do we show that? So uh, I remember years ago, we're, we're working in the urban ministry. We're, we're trying to get these kids to come to church. We're, we're doing a lot of things. They, they're coming to the house. Uh, they do activities with us. Uh, none of that is hard. And then, but on Sundays, you know, and a lot of these were young people who didn't have a way to get to church. So Shauna or, or me and my wife or whoever would go and pick them up, you know, at different times, Gary and Katie, you know, we'd go, we'd make sure we have rides for everybody, do little carpool runs and then come to church. And most of the time, especially in the beginning, we didn't have near as many kids come to Sunday and we as Christians are like, this is what we want. I mean, we love these kids. We'll do anything for them. But we, th- our goal is to bring them into a relationship with God. And Sundays, for the Christian, that's, that's what Sunday is. It's like being in the presence of God with our Christian brothers and sisters. And we wanted that for them so much. So, but when they didn't do that, I remember struggling in my mind. You know, some saying, because this, this would go on for years in some cases, and I remember having that temptation to say, you need to be there and get onto some of these kids and say, it's not just about playing fun and games or doing this. It's about, you know, you need to be at worship. And then I would say, no, that's not what they need. That's not what's going to help. It would be, no, I just need to love them. I just need to encourage them. I need to say, I miss you. You know, no, no condemnation. Don't make them feel guilty for coming because what's that going to do? It's gonna, they're not, they're not going to want to be a part of it. But if you love them and you say you missed you and we want you there and we, we want you to experience what we're experiencing, then that draws them in. And, you know, now they've got their own church and they're, they're meeting now. And so as, as Christians, we need to make sure that we are, that's, that's the spirit that we're giving off that we're sharing with other people it's not the ministry of condemnation that leads to death you should this is what but it's that ministry of love and acceptance and unity and we'll, we'll talk about that more as we because the love of God is what the Bible talks about sometimes we twist it and make make it focus on other things but it's the love of God so if you skip down to verse 15 and 17 so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 15 through 17 says this. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Moses had a veil that he covered his face with because the people were afraid of the radiant face. The Jews had a veil that, Paul says, covered their face because they still thought about the old law and the legalistic views of that old covenant. 
But do we have a veil covering us? Is there anything in our lives or in our minds that keeps us from understanding what it means to be filled with the Spirit? We just we need to answer that question for, our, for ourselves. <clears throat> for me, as I thought about this struggle of Old Covenant, New Covenant, transition, you know, these things, I thought of Nicodemus. You remember his story in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a part of the leadership of the Pharisees, and he's a part of that teaching you know, group. And, and, and he comes to Jesus at night, and he's like, you know, Jesus, we know that you're from God. We can see, tell by your miracles. But he's got that struggle in his heart. And he's like, you know what? So, so Jesus is telling him things. And, and in chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus says, what do you mean? And in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, how are these things possible? Nicodemus just has a lot of questions for Jesus. But Jesus' answers are this. In, in John chapter 3, 5 and 6, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Jesus is saying, it's not just about following the right rules. It's not just about, you know, human life. We're talking about life, the spiritual life, the life of the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. is something entirely different and, and that's what Nicodemus would learn, uh, I believe. It, it, we don't, we, it, the Bible doesn't say what Nicodemus did after this, but, but I believe that he finally understood. But he had a long struggle with it. All right, so what I want to do, can you tell if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? You can't tell by looking at them, all right? But if you're around them at all, I believe you can. I'm going to tell you three characteristics that are really general, that are really, if our church is filled with the Holy Spirit, then these are three things that our church is going to exhibit. All right, first one, the Spirit is life and freedom. All right, second one, the Spirit is love. And the third one, the Spirit is unity. So I'm just letting you know, we're going to talk about these three. I'm going to give you lots of scriptures, but life and freedom, love, and unity. That's what, if we are filled with the Spirit, those are the characteristics that we're going to see. All right, so for life and freedom, look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit life-giving power of the spirit Um, and then look at galatians chapter 3 verses 21 through 22 is there a conflict then between god's law and god's promises absolutely not if the law could give us new life we could be made right with god by obeying it verse 22 but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin so we receive god's promise of freedom only by believing in jesus christ you look at romans you look at galatians Patrick spent a lot of time in Ephesians. You, you, you can look through all these scriptures. This is the over the message that just keeps repeating over and over. This message of life, this message of freedom, um, and 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 that's 
example that I think of is parenting. All right, I've got three kids that are older and grown, and I've got one 16-year-old uh, still, still with us. When, I, when Tina and I think about parenting, uh, we, sometimes we have a lot of regrets. We think we did a terrible job. If, if you've got older kids, maybe you've, you think that. But then sometimes I think we did a great job, you know, and it's, it's really hard. But here's, here's the struggle, I think, with parents. So if, you've, if you're parents of younger kids, then this is uh, my, what my experience has taught us, is that you're not just trying to get your kids to do the right thing. Sometimes we think as parents, we, we have to train our kids to do the right thing. And I do not believe that's all there is to it. What's more important is training our kids to want to do the right thing. There's a difference. You can train your kids to do the right thing and they'll do it. But that's following the law. That's that legalism. That, that's not this life-giving spirit and freedom that the spirit wants to give you the power to will to obey. So if we train our kids to want to do the right thing, it's different. So discipleship, if we look at discipleship is not rule following. Discipleship is life-giving freedom. So if we look at discipleship as rule following, um, we're gonna, we may tend to fall into this ministry of condemnation. But if we look at discipleship as this freedom from sin and also a freedom for God's purposes, then we are instilling the power to obey. And so if we do that with our kids, we need to do that with one another. It's, it's not a condemnation, but it's instilling the power to obey. It comes from love. It comes from fr- freedom, life-giving. All right, second, second one. Besides life and freedom, the Spirit is love. What holds a family together when there are disagreements? I believe, I hope, it's love. So look at Colossians 3, verses 13 and 14. Make allowance for each other's faults. I'm going to pause. That one's difficult, right? Make allowance for each other's faults. We have them. Now, we may think that this family member has more than I do or this family member. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. The Bible is full of this stuff. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. The story of the Bible is God's love for us. Matthew 22, you know, they ask Jesus, what is, what is the most greatest commandment? And he says, love God with all your heart. And then he says, the next one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself, all right? Uh, Paul quotes that in Romans 13, 8 through 10, which we won't go there. And then Jesus in his prayer the night before he's betrayed in John 17 is praying for unity so that the world will believe. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I saw this quote on Twitter this week, and it says this, we can get the Bible right, but if we get love wrong, we're wrong. And I think we need to remember that. We can get the Bible right, but if we get love wrong, we're wrong. Uh, whatever we do, that's, that's the ministry of the Spirit that we need to remember. Stephen is a great example, all right? So if you look at Acts chapter 7, we're going to read verses 54 through 60. Stephen is a great example of this. 
Acts 7, 54 through 60. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that he died. I can't imagine what Stephen is going through. And yet, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit. And look where his focus is. These men are wanting to kill him. And his focus is on giving them forgiveness and love. And if you remember, these these are pretty much the exact words that Jesus said while on the cross. Stephen is a great example of us in showing love to others, regardless of how they treat us. And the third thing, so freedom... Love and unity. God wants unity. Humanity wants unity. Sometimes we want war. Other times we want human uh, unity. But the thing is, is that humans are not ever going to be unified by themselves. We can't agree on anything. If we try to say, oh, we all want unity, we won't agree on how to do it. Unity is only going to come from a change of heart that the Spirit does in us. We don't have the power within ourselves to be unified with one another. But the Spirit gives us that power. Barnabas is a great example of this, I believe. So I got two two, uh, passages. Acts chapter 9. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. I don't blame you. All right, verse 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul becomes Paul, uh, not yet, but he's, he's had this experience. He goes and he wants to teach and he wants to be with the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And they don't want anything of it. They're scared. Barnabas comes along, takes Saul by the arm, by the shoulder, brings him in and says, hey, let me tell you about Saul. Let me tell you what's happened to him. Yeah, I know you're a little scared, but here's this unity. I can't imagine how hard that would be for Barnabas. Barnabas might say, you know, I agree. I don't think I want to have anything to do with him either. All right, and then look at chapter 11. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, and what had happened was all the Gentiles were beginning to uh, obey the gospel. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to say true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. He finds Saul, he brings him back. Oh, when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So here's, I mean, this is the, besides Cornelius that Caleb mentioned in his communion talk in chapter 10, this is the first time that Gentiles are coming to the faith. 
and Barnabas, a Jew who, remember, has all this history that we've talked about. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he's accepting and he's loving and he wants unity and he wants that with Paul with the believers he wants that with these Gentiles with the believers and he does that here I think we see in Barnabas and he's encouraging he's encouraging to Paul and he's encouraging to these Gentile believers and he's full of the Holy Spirit when you're talking about being full you know Patrick said last week that that full can be you can be full of anger or whatever uh, Acts chapter 19 verse 28 uh, there's a there's an there's a passage in Acts chapter 19 the Ephesians are starting a riot because of Paul and the other Christians there and they grab a couple of Christians not Paul they grab a couple of them and they take them and they're they're shouting and it says that they in the NIV it says they're furious in the New Living Translation it says they boiled with anger if you look at that Greek word it's that Greek word for filled same as the Greek word for what does it mean? You're boiling over. You've got so much anger, it's boiling over. If you are filled with the Spirit, you're overflowing with love and with freedom and, with, and, and unity. And, and that's what we need to be. Now, Patrick also said last, he, he going preaching through Ephesians last week, he skipped over chapter 4, didn't have enough time. Let's, I'm going to look at chapter 4. So at the beginning in verse 2, it says, Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love we saw another passage in colossians that said the same thing verse 15 instead we will speak the truth in love verse 23 instead let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and then we'll focus on verses 29 through 32 of ephesians chapter 4 don't use foul or abusive language let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But when you read all of chapter 4, Paul is trying to get the believers to unite. And I've heard if people use the text of Ephesians 4 to talk about denominations and what's wrong. And, and to me, that's that ministry of condemnation again. It's not the ministry of love and acceptance and unity and encouragement and I believe that that's not from the Spirit. I believe it's, it's more legalistic. Uh, we need to be more like Barnabas. We need, to, we need to act more. So Patrick last week talked about being filled with the Spirit. And he used uh, this slide. Being filled is first about humble dependence. And I believe that with all my heart. We, we have to humble ourselves or God's not going to do anything with us. I also believe, the next slide, you can't truly love someone else until you empty yourself of selfishness. Otherwise, you, your first reaction is to always love yourself and do what you want. And so part of being filled with the Spirit is we have to empty ourselves. Uh, and if we do that, then we can love others. And if we do that, we can love others who don't love us the way Stephen did. 
There's a lot there. All right, application. We're almost done. But I believe this application time is the most important time. Because if we come here and we listen and then we leave and we don't do anything, we don't do anything differently, then there's no purpose. So when we, when we think about this, do we allow our culture to influence us more than we influence our culture? I may not know the answer to that for you, uh, but I know the answer. And the answer is to be filled with the Spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit, then we won't be influenced by our culture, but we will be the ones doing the influencing because we will be overflowing with the gifts of the Spirit. Galatians 5, first one is love, by the way. Um, so I think this plays out like if you are a member of a sports team, you know, young guy playing, playing sports, you know, uh, do, you have in, do you have more influence on your teammates or do your teammates have more influence on you? All right, if you try to do all this under your own power, then I don't know. But if you are filled with the Spirit and the Spirit's power, you're going to be able to have influence on them. You're, you're working. You have a conversation with your coworkers. Maybe there's debates going on at the office about this or about that. Do you have more influence over them or do they have more influence over you? If we are filled with the Spirit, then we're going to be having influence and it's going to be in a good way. If you're surfing Netflix, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you got to make sure you skip over, Right? But is that going to be an issue for you? Well, if you are filled with the Spirit, then you'll, you, you'll be the one making those decisions. If you're not and you're trying to live under your own power, then maybe it's going to influence you. All right, here's three things. Three things by way of application. Number one, allow your heart to change. All right? Allow your heart to change. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 says this, For you are not a true Jew, just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. So I would translate that to say you're not a true Christian unless, just because you grew up going to church or your parents went to church, all right? Uh, verse 29, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit and a person with a changed heart Seeks praise from God and not from people. Allow your heart to change. The Old Covenant was a written document, a written code. The New Covenant was not. It may come as a surprise to you because we have the New Testament. We think of that all the time. But the Old Covenant was a document, a written code. The New Covenant was not. The New Covenant was a work of the Spirit. They didn't have the New Testament, the way we did, all of this stuff we're reading from Paul is a work of the Spirit that he's talking about is the New Covenant. Yeah, they've got the Old Testament and they've got the Old Law and the Written Code, but this New Covenant that they're talking about is a work of the Spirit that's traveling through them. We'll fix that next service. All right, so... It's a written, it, it is not a written code, and so we need to make sure that we are uh, allowing our heart to change in that way. All right, number two, accept each other. Accept each other. I've got Romans 15, 2 through 7. I, I, I uh, cut a lot of that down to verse 7 for you. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory accept each other when we are filled with the spirit elders will shepherd preachers will preach christian brothers and sisters will love each other and if we're not loving each other then we're not being filled with the spirit and accepting each other and number three be the church what does that mean uh 
be the church. Let me before we go to Ephesians three, I want I want to just I want you to think. There's there's unity. Okay, this is what Jesus prayed. This is what we as a church should do: is be unified. Uh, there's a congregational level of unity. There is a kingdom level of unity outside this congregation, and I believe we need to unify in the on the kingdom level as well. Uh, things may happen in the future where Christians desperately need each other. In some ways, I think they're happening now. We don't need to be arguing with each other. We need to be unifying because we need that encouragement and strength. Imagine in heaven, all right? Here's the thing. We're in heaven. Is anyone going to be thinking, I'm not sure that person belongs here? Sometimes we do that now, right? I'm not sure that person's a good Christian. When we get to heaven, is anybody there going to be thinking that? No. Why? Because we are going to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. The Spirit is going to be all there is. And we are going to be worshiping and bowing down, and we're going to be full of love. We're going to be full of love. I'll try not to move. We're going to be full of love. And that, those questionings and those, those condemning things are not going to be in our mind at all. Here's the point. If that's the way it's going to be in heaven, that's the way it needs to be now. That's what God wants for the church right now. The church is his representative right now. All right. Now we'll go to Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11 says this. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. This the church is his plan. The church is to be his representative right now, right here on earth. All right. What are you filled with? How many of you are coffee drinkers? Okay, probably most of you. I am not. Some people, my wife uh, does not hate me because I'm not a coffee drinker, but she doesn't respect me as much as if I were. All right? Um, if we're all got mugs, uh, I drink hot tea, all right? So, but if we got all, if we're all mugs and you got your coffee, I got my hot tea, those the rest of you got whatever you, Diet Dr. Pepper, whatever you got in there, and we're all walking around and we bump into each other and we spill, what's being spilled out of your cup? Whatever it's filled with. Right? If, if you're a coffee drinker, then coffee is spilling. If you drink hot tea, then hot tea. That's how it is with the Spirit. Whatever we are filled with, when life's problems happen and we have these bumps in the road, then that's what's going to spill over, what we're filled with. If we are filled with the Spirit, then it doesn't matter about life's problems. What's going to be spilling over is love, acceptance, forgiveness and unity Um, and the reason this is important is because we're not the only one that has 
problems in life, right? Everybody does. And a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ are having these problems, and they need hope. They can't, I wouldn't be able to live through this last year without Jesus, right? And the hope that I have. We need to be there. We want to be filled with spirit. We want to be spilling over to where we're, when we come in contact with each other, when we con- come in contact with others, that's what's spilling over. Scott McKnight said in one of his books that I've recently been reading, he says this, the Holy Spirit is the active agent who turns us from enemies and strangers into friends and family. I love thinking about the New Testament. I love thinking about the church as this. We're enemies and strangers And yet the Holy Spirit turns us into friends and family. Jesus brought this new covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, and Jesus was a part of that. God made a covenant with David, and Jesus was a part of that. God made a covenant with the Israelites to keep his laws, and they couldn't do it, and we couldn't do it, and yet God sent Jesus to say, no, you're going to fulfill that covenant. You're going to be that perfect sacrifice. And then Jesus promised his Holy Spirit that will come to teach us, convict us, humble us, to change our hearts, to give us the desire to trust him and to obey him. Will you do that? Will you enter into this covenant, this partnership with God, become a partner with God in his purpose to rescue and redeem the whole world? Humble yourself. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Spirit. It will change you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, We are thankful for the power of the Spirit. We are thankful for your grace, your forgiveness. We're thankful for your love. Father, we do not have the power. We do not have what we need to... uh, follow after you in the way that you deserve. And yet, with the power of your life-giving spirit, we can. Give us more of that. Help us to empty ourselves, to fill ourselves up with you, all things of you, so that we can spill over to our friends and our families and our neighbors so that they can have what you want them to have so that they can be redeemed the same way you have redeemed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.